Good morning again. It's my privilege to open God's Word with you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, there's actually, I just realized there's a misprint in the bulletin. I think I sent it wrong to Pastor Brian. We're actually in John 1 this morning. Um, but the verses are correct. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. There should be a Bible in the pew if you need to use the table of kindness to find it. That's not an issue. Don't worry about that. Um, I don't travel much with my job, um, but when I do travel, I'm reminded that, in my opinion, one of the greatest inventions of modern travel technology is the moving sidewalk thing in the airport. Um, I'm a simple-minded man, <laughs> easily, easily amused. Um, but especially, I think it's the Denver airport, the, the ter- they have the terminals and then the long hallways that take you for, seemingly forever to find where your actual gate is. And they have these sidewalk things. It's like an escalator, but it's flat. And you can just stand there, and it'll take you to your gate, almost exactly there. It's, it's brilliant. It's amazing. Um, I love it. Just standing there, and I'm going to get where I want to go. And if I need to get there faster, because of the mystery and magic of physics, um, you can actually walk on that on this moving sidewalk as it moves, and it'll get you there even faster. It's amazing. I point that out this morning as we begin this new year together, and as we approach John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42, because I think that's a lot like the rest of life for us. Whether we know it or not, we're moving in a direction. Even if, even if we're standing still, even if it doesn't feel like we're going anywhere, we're pursuing anything, we're moving somewhere. Life is taking us somewhere. Indeed, I would even venture to say that we are by nature creatures always in pursuit of something. Whether we could articulate it or not, we're chasing after something. We have hopes, we have dreams, we have desires that are leading us, that are guiding us, that are taking us somewhere. The question for us this morning that I want us to wrestle with over the next few minutes is what are we pursuing? What is it that we're chasing? It's the question that we're going to hear Jesus ask to some of his followers as they show up behind him along the road. If you have your Bibles with me, I'm going to read, follow along with me, please. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. Hear now the word of the Lord. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed, they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They, and they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray one more time and ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. Father in heaven, we ask this morning once again that you would send out your light and your truth, that they would lead us, that they would guide us, that they would take us to the place where you are, so that we may know you, and in being with you and in knowing you through your word this morning, may we walk away changed. We ask this by the work of Jesus and by the presence of the Spirit. In in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. I don't know if you're familiar with the TV show Mad Men. Um, I certainly, um, on wisdom of those of you who have watched it, would say it's not one I can recommend necessarily. Um, and it's rather disturbing on multiple accounts. 
But it's a, it tells a story of, an, of ad agency men in the 1960s and 1970s and their pursuit of happiness actually is what it's really all about and it's really depressing um, to be honest with you the way that it unfolds. But the pilot, the show opens with Don Draper, the, kind of the protagonist of the story or the antagonist depending on how you see him, um, wrestling with trying to write ad campaign for the first cigarette company. Now the problem is at this point in the history of this country, the government by this point had already been, been publicizing the fact that cigarettes may not be healthy for those who would partake of them. And so the ad agencies are scrambling to figure out how do we sell something <laughs> that will kill you, ultimately. And near the end of the show, as the hero of the, of the story comes through, he makes this comment to the cigarette company execs. He says, advertising is based on one thing, happiness. And do you know what happiness is? Happiness is the smell of a new car. It's freedom from fear. It's a billboard on the side of the road that screams with reassurance that whatever you're doing, it's okay, you're okay. Happiness. In some ways, we're all pursuing that. We might be spiritual enough to say, well, it's not really happiness because happiness is fleeting, right? But we're pursuing, we're pursuing the thought that's behind that. We long to be free from fear. We long to be free to know that we're okay. We long to know who we are, to know our place in this world, and to know that everything's going to be okay. We long for that. We thirst for that. We're chasing after that. We want to know ourselves and the place in the world. We want to know that we're okay. And so when Jesus asked the question of, in verse 38 that kind of is the center of this passage, he, he looks to these men and he says, what are you seeking after? It's what we're all seeking. Whether we, whether we call ourselves followers of Jesus or not this morning, we're chasing after happiness. We want to know that we're okay. We want to know that those we love are okay. We want to know that we're going to be okay. But I want to ask you this morning, how would you answer Jesus' question? What is it that you're chasing after? What does your bank account tell you you're pursuing? What does your daytimer tell you you're pursuing? What would your family members, what would your roommates tell you you're pursuing based on simple observation? What is it that you're chasing after? We're at church, so the Emily's answer probably as well as the guys on the road would be saying, we're following you, Jesus. That's probably the obvious answer to the question, but what I want us to wrestle this morning with is, how do we do that? What does it look like for us as God's people at the beginning of 2020, looking down the barrel of a new year, or down the tunnel of a new year, hoping there's a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak? How do we do this? two things I want you to hear this morning. The first of them is this. To find Jesus, to find happiness, to find Jesus is to know him as he is. If the answer is Jesus, the call of the scriptures over and over again is that we would simply know him for who he is. Now the basic flow of this passage is this. Everything that happens in the text that I read for you this morning, in fact much of what happens in the scriptures, is simply the response of who God is and what he's doing in his world. In this case, it's the response of the people in the passage to who Jesus is and who they know him to be. Notice where it begins. We, we begin by meeting a man named John. And just for the record, it's not the guy who wrote this book. He's also named John because being confusing is sometimes helpful, I suppose. But we meet this man named John, and he's pointing out Jesus to two of his followers. He's done this the day before, actually, we read in verse 29. But, but again, this time he says to them, Behold the Lamb of God. 
And what, 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 do, what happens to his followers is they say, oh, okay, and they drop everything and they follow Jesus, he tells us in verses 37 and 38. But it's this phrase, behold the Lamb of God, in verse 29, verse 29 in the previous section, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, John, is, John knows who Jesus is, and he knows him to be the Lamb of God. The theme of scripture would be that Jesus came as the sacrificial lamb, the, the one who gave his life for his people out of love for them because of their sins. In Isaiah 53, 7, we read that he like that the prophecy regarding Jesus, that like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, he was silent. That, that phrase shows up again in Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 11. That the one prophesied would, would come like a lamb, the sacrificial lamb. They were the Old Testament people of God were familiar with the sacrifice because it was part of their worship. And the promise would be that one day a full and final lamb would come. But in the very, very last book of the Bible, Revelation, John, who wrote these words, also wrote there of a lamb. He wrote that he, he was given a vision and he saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And then a few verses later, this is in Revelation chapter 5, he writes this, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might. Jesus is this lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. What this tells us is that to know Jesus is to know him as the one who came to meet our need. We can't come face to face with the lamb who was slain and not realize, not face the reality that he was slain for us. That he took upon himself this title of lamb because he came to live, to die, and to rise again, to suffer deeply and greatly, to experience the wrath of God poured on him on behalf of his people. To know Jesus as he is, is to know him as the one who came to meet our need. In fact, if you look down at verse 42, at the last verse of what I read, after Peter showed, after Andrew brings Peter, he says, Jesus says to Peter, you are Simon, son of John. As if to say, I know you, Peter. I know your name. I know your dad. And oftentimes when we hear that, we think, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? We are known. And that the one who came is the one who knows us. But notice how this unfolds in the passage. Look at verse 40 with me. Um, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And then notice what he does in verse 41. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. John's explanation is, is what's given there when he says the Christ. The word Messiah is from the Hebrew word Masah, which means to anoint or to rub with oil. We know that in the Old Testament, the, those who were called to serve God in the, in the temple and before that in the tabernacle were anointed. They were rubbed with an oil to set them apart by the work of God. It, this, this term carried weight. Christ is simply the Greek version of that very same word. You see, Jesus is the, is the anointed one. He is the one God's people were waiting for to make all things good again. In fact, we can read of the anointed one in, in um, Isaiah 6, chapter 61, a verse is quoted several times in the New Testament also to reference Jesus. There we read of this. The Spirit of God is upon me because he, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. This is the one they've been waiting for, the anointed one, the one who bore God's spirit himself who indeed was the Lord himself, come to his people to set the prisoners free, to bring comfort to those who mourn, to, to bind up the brokenhearted. This is the one for whom we were waiting. 
To know Jesus is also to know him as this one, the, Mess the Messiah, the one who would come to set his people free. To find Jesus is to simply know him as he is. You know, it seems in what seems to me like a, another lifetime, when I was a high school student, I, one of the things that I did that kind of marked me in my social circle was that I was a drummer. I played, in, I played drums as much as I could in every organization that I could get my hands on. And I listened to a lot of music. And, and one, at one point, I had the opportunity to hear a, a, a drummer named Dave Weckl. Now, I'm not expecting any of you to know who Dave Weckl is. Um, but he played with a guy named Chick Corea, that if you know anything about jazz music, you know the name Chick Corea, because he played with Miles Davis back in the late, early 70s and went on to have an illustrious career. But I had this opportunity to see Dave Weckl play in, both in a master class setting, where there was literally a drum set and like 200 chairs set up around him, and he played for an hour, and we listened to him and talk and teach us. And then I got to see the concert that night. And the beautiful thing about this experience was, I'd listened to this guy, and I'd even seen videos for, of, of him play. But being there in person is like an experience like no other. To just him and his drums, to watch how he moves his sticks, to see the thing, the drums that he hits and the order that he hits, to, 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 do, to sit, just sit there and observe this. Part of me was thinking, I can do this. I was vigorously taking notes, writing down every beat that I could figure out that, so I could go home and practice it. And one of the things that I realized, though, is the other part of me realized very quickly, I'm probably never going to be at that level. Now, this is a guy who, when he was in high school, Dave Weckl, um, grew up in St. Louis, he tells a story of he would take records and slow them down, Buddy Rich records, and slow them down. Buddy Rich is one of the greatest drummers ever to live, if you didn't know that name, sorry. And he would slow them down and lie down on, on late Friday nights. He said he had no social life whatsoever. And he'd lie down and simply listen to the slowed down records to try to figure out what was being played. And he would practice hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And I realized that there's a great difference between him and putting that kind of investment in and the investment I was willing to put in and what my natural ability was. And so the other part of me realized there's no way I'm ever going to be like that. I wanted to be like that, and I wanted to be able to play like him. But it's the reality that says there's no way I'm ever going to get there. Knowing Jesus for who he is does both of those things for us. It draws us in his beauty, his truth, his grace, the, the honor and respect that he gave to the downcast. The way that he healed, the way that he ministered to people, always saying the right thing at the right time, always. Being all-powerful, knowing everything. We're drawn in to be like him. And in fact, the promise of scripture is, is that his people are being made like him. And yet, it's not just a difference of degree. We, we, we will never be Jesus. That's not our calling in this world. We will be made like him, and one day that will become full and final. And yet we will never be divine. We will never be him. And so we face this reality. But it's that reality that we see in verse 42 again at the very, the very last words it said. Jesus then goes on to say to Peter, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now John doesn't explain here, but we know from the other gospel accounts that what Jesus is referencing here, what John is referencing here, is that Peter would be the rock, which is what his name means. And the church would be built upon the testimony that he gave to Jesus from Matthew chapter 16. You see, there's this hint here that, that not only to know Jesus is to know him as the one who came to, to meet our need and the, to know the one who's the Messiah, but he's also the one who brings change in our lives, who brings great promise to his people to not leave us where he finds us in place of need, but to meet that need and to take us somewhere. To find Jesus is to know him in this way, to know, as he is, know him as he is. We're seeking happiness in the deepest of senses. 
We're seeking after something. What, the thing, what we're looking for is Jesus himself. It's who we're chasing after. We, we long to know that we're okay. And what that means is that we're actually seeking after Jesus. I want to challenge you. I want to call you this morning to give yourself to this task this year. To know Jesus. As you read your Bibles, as you pray, as you worship, as you serve, as you go about your daily lives, as you go about your jobs. Seek to know Jesus as he is. Let him reveal your need. You know, there's a beautiful honesty in this. There's a beautiful honesty in being known by him and being told that we are a people of need. That we will always fall short in this life. That perfection is outside of what we can attain. There's a freedom and there's an honesty that we have with one another to live honestly to say, I have failed again and again and again. And yet there is hope. Let it reveal Jesus' answer to your need. That to know that as, as scary as it is to face your sin, as scary as it is to face your motivations behind why you do what you do that are always mixed, as scary as that is, Jesus every time says, my grace is sufficient for that. I have enough for you. I am enough for you. You don't, need, you don't need your own strength. You don't need your own power. You have mine. Let him help you see more of him. Let the depth of the, of the story of scripture surprise you with what you thought you knew. And let, enable, let it enable you to change. Give yourself to knowing Jesus as he is. But before we move on, I also want to say this. Part of our call as a church is to together do this and to invite others into this process. It's what happens in the passage, right? It's what happens in the process when Andrew goes and finds his own brother and says, we found him. We found the one we've been waiting for. That's our call to the watching world, beloved. It's not to live perfect lives. It's not to have the perfect worship service. It's not to have the perfect building. It's not to have the perfect um, fellowship meal after church, though I'm, I have every, believe, every hope that it's going to be a great meal together after church. Our goal is not perfection. Our goal is to help people find Jesus. It's to invite people into this process with us to say, I, I want you to stand where I'm standing and see what I see as we look at the world. To see Jesus and all that the difference that that makes in everything. It also involves knowing our neighbor well enough to know what they're seeking after. And to know that the things that all of us collectively are seeking after can only be answered and found in Jesus, but that they will be found in him. To find Jesus is to know him as he is. The other thing I want you to know this morning is that to follow him is simply to be with him. To find Jesus is to know him as he is. To follow him this year is to simply to be with him. I don't know if you remember back when Facebook became not just for college students, but I distinctly remember because I was, a, I was doing youth ministry and all my students were on Facebook and I had no access because I didn't have an education email address. But eventually it opened up to everybody, and, and of course that ruined it, I'm sure many would say. But one of the things that was popular, especially in the first few years of Facebook, is that when it asked for religion, you know, Christian was an option, but many people felt that that was an empty term because it meant nothing because everybody saw themselves as a Christian. So people would do things like say, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a follower of Jesus, or I'm a follower of the way, which is great. I'm not questioning anyone's motivation for that, and in fact it's helpful. But, but what we miss is, we miss is what that actually means. We miss that what it actually means is that we are those who are called to be with Jesus. Now, look, again, look at the passage with me. As, as we've said, the passage begins by meeting this man named John, who, let's be honest, was a strange guy. He lived in the wilderness his adult life, and he preached. 
He had no qualms about preaching against the corruption of the government officials, against the corruption of the government practices, and even against the corruption of the, the religious leaders of his day. And people flocked to him. But he made it clear that he was not the focus of his message. Actually, in the, earlier in the same chapter of John 1, we read this over and over again. We hear John, John the Baptist's name was calling out, I am not the Christ. I am not the one I'm preaching about. Somebody's going to come after me and will change the world and will change your lives. And so when this man came, John had no qualms to say, there he is. Go follow him. Don't follow me, which is what we see happening in these early verses, right? When he says, behold the Lamb of God, two of his disciples immediately leave John and go and follow Jesus. It, it might be something similar to a grad student changing an advisor midstream. It was a little bit odd if you were following a teacher of the day to drop everything and follow another teacher, but that's exactly what happened. But what I want you to see this morning is notice what happens after that, beginning in verse 38. Or verse 37, they follow him, and Jesus turns and sees them following him in verse 38, and he says to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? It's an odd question. Where are you staying? That's what, that's what we're seeking after Jesus. We're not seeking after wealth. We're not seeking after wisdom. We're not seeking after righteousness. We want to know where you're staying. That's why we're following you. Verse 39, Jesus says to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. There's something weirdly normal about that conversation. Where are you staying, Jesus? We want to be with you. The word there, stay, is the Greek word meno, which, which shows up throughout John's Gospel. And most of the time it means something like what it means here, because it's repeated in these two verses several times. What it means is to be, with, to be there, to be with someone. Now in John 15, Jesus is going to give this added weight when he says, abide or remain or stay with me. He gives it the spiritual context. But here... It means, following Jesus means being with him. It means being in the presence of Jesus. Following Jesus is nothing less than simply being with him. But as we've seen, what happens, what follows up in this in verses 41 and 42, is that it also means inviting others to be with him as well. Andrew goes and finds his brother Simon and says, we found him. We read in verse, verse 42 that it says, he brought him to Jesus. He first went and found his brother, and he brought him to Jesus. To follow Jesus means to be with him. It means to stay with him, to be in his presence. And it means to invite others to be a part of his presence. Beloved, the Christian life at its core is this. It is being with Jesus. To hear him, to speak to him, to get to know him for who he is. To get to know his people for who they are, warts and all. It's because Jesus says, I am with you, I am present with you. The invitation for us is to do this, to, to see our goal, to see all that we do this year as part of this process of being with Jesus and to know that he is with us. He's promised to be with us through the end of the age. What that means is nothing that you experience over the next 12 months, 12 months minus a week, I suppose, nothing you experience over the 12 months will be something in which he is not with you. There are no surprises that will come this year for him in your life. No orders changed, no job changed, no transfer, no death of a loved one, no unexpected pregnancy, no, no longing for pregnancy that's not happening. Nothing in your life this year will happen apart from him being with you. 
There's freedom in, re in realizing that. There's freedom in acknowledging his presence with us. That he is not scared of anything that you will say or do or think. He's not scared of the questions that you have. He is not absent from you when you have those questions and doubts and fears and anxieties. He is not away from you. The call is to acknowledge him, to be with him. And yet again, as we think about our task in this community and around the world, as a church, as the people of God gathered, to invite others to be a part of this, there's, I want this to be perspective for us. You see, what we're not doing is we're not trying to, to, com to compete with other organizations in town for people. The call is not to increase our numbers to gain influence in the city of Manhattan. That's not our call. Our invitation is simply to be with Jesus and to invite others to be with him. Noted missionary Leslie Newbegin once wrote these words, critiquing his own tradition. He said, we have not been people simply full of good news, which we had to share with all our friends. We have been agents of an organization trying to strengthen itself in, in, in the world by getting more members and more influence. So our job is not to increase our organization. Our calling is to be with Jesus and to invite others to be with him. What are you seeking, beloved? What are you seeking this year? What are you seeking this morning? C.S. Lewis once described his own pursuit of happiness in this. He said it was like chasing an unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. I call it joy. Anyone who has experienced it will want it again. He said even from, from his atheistic and agnostic days before he became a fully committed Christian, as, in a, as later in his adult years, this was the thing that drove him. This longing for this, this insatiable um, desire, which was more desirable than any other satisfaction in his life. He had this sense of that, and he chased after it in every way that he knew how, and yet he only found it in Jesus. Somebody else, St. Augustine, writing in the early 400s, wrote these words. He described this pursuit this way. He said, suppose we were travelers who could only live happily in our homeland, and because of our absence and made us unhappy, we wish to, be, to put an end to our misery and return there. So he's describing, imagine yourself as a traveler being gone from home. And what you knew that awaited you at home was happiness, was satisfaction, was contentment. And as that kind of traveler, you're going to do everything you can to get home. But he goes on to say this. But if we were fascinated by the, by the delights of the journey and the actual traveling, we would be perversely enjoying the wrong thing. And we would be reluctant to finish our journey quickly being ensnared in the wrong kind of pleasure and estranged from the homeland where pleasures could make us happy. The language sounds harsh and stilted, but what he's saying is this. Imagine you're a traveler away from home, knowing that what awaits you at home is happiness. But on your way home, you find the traveling more interesting than the home. But you know that your happiness will not be satisfied until you get there. That's what it looks like to live in this world. To live in this world in pursuit of Jesus himself, and we get distracted by so much else along the way, as if that's the goal, as if the goal is, is our homes, as if the goal is our income, is our bank account, our status at work, our prestige, our influence. Nothing else will compare with the pursuit of Jesus. And what Jesus offers us is that true and final happiness. If you would this morning not call yourself a Christian, if you would say you don't yet know Jesus, I want to ask you, what are you seeking? What has brought you here this morning? Something, somebody dragged you here. You're, you're here for a reason. Do you recognize this unsatisfied desire in you? My invitation for you is to consider Jesus.
But if you are a follower of Jesus, I ask you the same thing in a different way. Why do you do the things that you do? Do you know what it is to get caught up in the traveling things and not seek the homeland itself, not seek to be with Jesus? Do you get caught up in figuring out how many verses you've memorized or how much scripture you've read? Do you get caught up in how many Christian blogs you've written or how many Christian blogs you've read or how many books you've read each day? Do you get caught up in how much, how much you can talk about Jesus just to simply make yourself feel better as you rack up the points with, with others in your, in your Christian circles? Why do you do what you do? Are you seeking Jesus or are you caught up in something less than him? We're all seeking something. The invitation for us this morning, this year, is to find Jesus for who he is and to follow him by being with him. Let's pray. Gracious and merciful God, we look to you this morning once again and ask, as we seek so much in this life and so much in this world, we humbly ask that you would help us to see you more fully and more clearly. Father, we pray that we would celebrate the good things, the joys of this life as gifts from you, not to neglect, not to run away from fellowship, not to run away from the good things that you give us, but to celebrate them as coming from you, that we might know you more. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray all of this. Amen.